Good morning, campers. Good morning, campers. Today's activities include, you know, just being a backup singer. But I'm the real talent. Lunch today will be edible glitter because no food is eaten on screen in this movie. Oh my god, no food is eaten on... Like, it's ordered, but it's not eaten. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Jeez. Uh... <laughs> And to end the night, we will be... Oh, hey, sorry, this just came in. Sarah just died, but I'll continue the podcast by myself. It's fine. <laughs> so put on your sunscreen. I mean, I'm, I'm broken up. Yes. <laughs> You're broken up about how sexy you look right now in your big gown. I look, I look fantastic, but she's dead. So put on your sunscreen, bug spray, and camp uniform as we dive into Glitter! We are not actually diving into a pool of glitter. We are diving into the film glitter. That would be on brand for us if we had the money. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I uh, I often have to refer to people at work like they'll find glitter on me because. Yep. Yeah, drag queen glitter, and I say, "Oh, you don't want to touch that," and they're like, "Why?" And I say, "Well, you know, there's a reason it's called gay herpes." Yes. <laughs> It'll transfer to you, and then you'll never get rid of it. I've heard of it called the herpes of craft supplies. But Marishka Hargitay, Sammy. Marishka Hargitay, Sarah. I am your camp counselor, Sam. Pro bodybuilder in training and current drag queen. And I'm camp counselor, Sarah. Why, you want me to sing? But I've never had any training. And we're here to ask, is it camp? We're diving into popular culture of all kinds to loosely identify what makes something camp. We are not here to be the definitive experts on it, but rather just talk about this often overlooked and frankly queer subgenre. So, I think, um, ooh, this movie definitely falls into the overlooked category. <laughs> I want to clarify something that I said at the end of last episode about this movie, and it's something that, um, there's actually a really interesting article that I will link to in the show notes that shows that Mariah Carey has sort of perpetuated this urban legend. This movie did not come out on 9-11. The soundtrack did. Oh. Uh, the movie oh. didn't come out until September 21st, which I would argue is not that much better. No, I mean, you know, 10 days later, yeah. it's still, every, not, I'm, we were all still reeling from it. Yes, yes. None of us was in the mood to see Glitter at the time. So had you seen it before? No. Were you a Mariah person? I have never been a Mariah person. Uh, I, I'm just not that type of gay uh, I, I think I only really started knowing who Mariah Carey was when I was a teenager in the 2000s. Mm -hmm. Like, you heard fantasy and heartbreaker and stuff as a kid, but, you know, there's, there's that point in growing up where you start to realize that, like, some of the stuff you take in is made by people and those people make more things and suddenly your brain goes into like this spider-man web of connecting <laughs> all these things together where you're like ah, oh, oh, i see the red strings attaching everything yeah you're in your sherlock and... mind palace Mm-hmm. and so i i knew who mariah carey was 
But I kind of only knew her as the... Because when I found out about her was round about the time that she had her uh, big sort of mental breakdown Mm -hmm. of her first one. Yeah, and that became, you know, the parody, the joke of, oh, look, a celebrity having mental issues. Isn't it funny? Shouldn't we laugh at them? Shouldn't we find it funny that Winona Ryder is shoplifting and isn't she a terrible person for doing so? And, you know, that that era of TMZ, uh, E! True Hollywood shit. It's like, oh, God, really? Yeah, okay, we recently fun. got an appraisal um, of it with um, people like rediscovering how the media treated Britney when she was going through it. But I don't think Mariah has had the appraisal of how the media treated her, really. No, and I, I like... I like the self-memification of Mariah mm. now, where she has fully embraced that, yes... I am the all I want for Christmas is you singer and every goddamn year I will awaken from my slumber <laughs> to bring it once more to the radio. I love that for her. I think that's so funny um, that she's in on the joke and we're in on the joke and yay, everyone. So great. Good, good for her. But beyond that, I've never been a Mariah Carey person. And in fact, I super dislike what Mariah Carey's influence has had upon younger people. Mm. And I, uh, this sounds, this sounds, this sounds bad. Is it her singing style? Because I read a whole article about it. I read one whole article about this. (laughs) uh, It's her singing style. I am punching things right now. Uh, I I did choir in high school because, hello, Mm -hmm. faggot. And I remember for, for choir... Uh, in in because uh, it was only my last year of high school in Colorado that I got to do it, and I just remember that one of the things we do is we audition for the solo parts, mm-hmm. right? And so, yeah, the teacher would have everybody who wants to audition for the solo part to stand up, and then all you have to do is sing like "Happy Birthday to You." Mm-hmm. That's it. She was like, "I want something simple that everybody can sing. You just sing it your own way," right? Easy enough instructions. Happy birthday to you is not a long song. And yet, and yet, there were still these teenage girls who insisted that, ah, yes, a five-minute rendition of happy birthday to you is exactly what the choir and the choir teacher want to hear right now. Happy birthday. No, no, that's not the song anymore. <laughs> You've ruined it. Stop. I hate it. I love it for Mariah Carey. I think, like, that's her bread and butter. That's her thing. She can hit those whistle notes. She is an incredible singer. I will not deny that. <laughs> but the influence she's had upon other singers thinking, ah, that's how things should be sung. Nope. Sometimes a song just needs to be fucking sung. Yes. So, um, like you, right. I am not. I am not um, big on Mariah. I'm like largely neutral. I love "All I Want for Christmas Is You," um, and but it's the same thing. Like she just doesn't make the kind of music that really I dig, you know. And I was a little too young when she was breaking through in the early 90s to go like, oh my god, that's a voice we've never heard before. So I'm just gonna, 
Um, so going on a vocal run, the official term for this is melisma. I may be pronouncing that wrong. I probably am. Uh, there's a quote here from Roger Decker, who is New York Magazine's editor. He said, Whitney Houston may have introduced melisma, the vocally acrobatic style of lending a word an extra syllable or 20 <laughs> to the charts, but it was Mariah with her <laughs> jaw-dropping range who made it into America's default sound. Every time you turn on American Idol, you are watching her children. And I think uh, I'm, I'm 36 years old. I'm not very big on... Uh, <laughs> popular music but i think like if you want to say one person who is claiming that now that's ariana grande you wouldn't have ariana grande without mariah carey yes yeah uh but i think with ariana grande uh at least somebody's been able to rein her in a bit she does have flourishes and does her own version of the whistle note and whatnot but it's still like Oh, good. This song comes in at three minutes and 30 seconds, not 12 minutes. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's talk a little bit about the making of this movie, because it was in production hell for quite some time. Yeah, this feels like a production hell movie, almost as if the idea came about in 1983 and... <laughs> Never got updated. Oh, man, I am going to. <laughs> Did you know this film's a period piece? Because the film doesn't remember it. <laughs> it does not. It is one cell phone on screen away from actually cementing itself in a time period. Uh, yes, so this largely takes place in 1983. And I think you're completely right. It was probably... Um, done because this started getting made around the mid 90s. Um, it was an existing screenplay and it was originally called All That Glitters. And Mariah Carey wanted to work on it, but at the time she was having issues with um, Sony, who is her label, and Tommy Mottola, mm -hmm. who uh, was her husband and then her ex husband and also worked for Sony. He basically like discovered her. Um, but they still had albums on her contract, so she had to just keep working with her ex-husband, something that she hated, and she did not like the style that he had chosen for her. Huh. Hmm. That's, that's weird. I feel like I've seen this in a film we've watched recently. <laughs> um... So let's let's also introduce the uh, the thing that is hanging over this film that I did not realize until the last scene and suddenly made this movie make a lot more sense. A star is born. Um, a <laughs> oh, I, I was going to say a sword. <laughs> <laughs> the sword of Damocles is hanging above Mariah. No. So, you know, people always talk about how there was no 90s version of A Star is Born. It seemed to have skipped that generation mm -hmm. um but apparently this was it they just didn't uh, no, want to pay is, for the rights <laughs> yeah this is very clearly a star is born like my god come on really yeah we'll get into it more later but i couldn't figure out whether we were supposed to like um i'm gonna say it dice Ugh. Bleh. Dice. I couldn't figure out if we were supposed to like Dice 
uh, or think that he is a horrible human being throughout. And it wasn't until he actually <laughs> died know. that I was like, I think this movie likes him. I think this movie is saying that they had a love that will last forever. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, holy shit. Uh, this this movie doesn't know what it's doing with most of the characters all the time. So, um, finally she was free of her Sony contract. And it's, um, this is like 1998, 1999 sort of thing. So she's still huge, you know, she's still Mariah Carey. So there's this fierce bidding war between record labels, and she finally signs with Virgin Records for $80 million. This was one of the biggest music contracts at that time. Uh, three years later, they would end up buying for her sh- out for $28 million. Damn. Yes. Um, so that is an idea for the people who were not around at the time, just how hard and fast her star crashed around this movie. Oof. Now, uh, there is a very famous no. meme of Miss Mariah Carey shaking her head and saying... I don't know her. That's it. That's it. Um, are you aware of the origins of that? No, I don't. Okay, so this is actually around the same time. Uh, do you know who she was speaking about? Mm. Oh, oh, there's so many juicy names <laughs> I want to say, but I, I can't confidently say any of them without also sounding like, I just want the drama. Okay, who was she's it? speaking about Jennifer Lopez. So around this time when they're working on the Glitter soundtrack... Um, they have a song called Lover Boy that has a sample of a song from 1978 called Firecracker. So they're working this in. This is going to be their lead single off of Glitter, the album. Around this time, Tommy Mottola, once again, pops up in this story. He finds out that they're using the sample and he brings it to now the biggest hit on Sony, who is Jennifer Lopez. And he was like, hey, wouldn't it be great if you recorded a song using this sample and we got it out at the same time? Or rather, beforehand. Mm. So that way Mariah basically can't use it. Um that song is I'm Real, which was a huge hit for Jennifer Lopez, and uh, Mariah Carey has evidently never forgiven her for. Damn. Yes. Um, around this time, she started going on um, tour and, quote, acting bizarrely, including one point in which uh, she was at a Q&A for the movie and her publicist actually took the microphone out of her hand. Oh. Yes. Um, she started posting uh, text and audio messages on her website that basically made no sense. Um, and again, if you guys were around in 2001 and like conscious you may not know anything about Mariah Carey but you know that she was going cuckoo banana pants she's a crazy lady and she can't be trusted yeah it it would turn out much later that she has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder I believe yes which is which is funny really I mean I'm I was thinking 
today about how I was going to describe this, and I was like, all the words that I want to use, like crazy and lunatic, maybe I should think twice about using them about Mariah Carey. Um, yeah, she checked. She famously checked into the hospital for exhaustion, which I remember people at the time being like, nobody checks in for exhaustion. Exhaustion is the polite word when you say that you're trying to get off something or something like that. Um, but also, given the fact that they were trying to have yeah. her work like 20 hour days, I think exhaustion seems pretty fair. Yeah, how could a rich and successful famous person who is constantly jet-setting and lives in the lap of luxury suffer from exhaustion? It's not like she works constantly to the bone. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, as you pointed out, it was at this time that she was first diagnosed with bipolar disorder, which is interesting because normally it, um, it shows up earlier in life, but it could be one of those things like she had been working so hard for the last 13 years, you know, maybe this was just the breaking point. Yeah, you don't have time to actually suffer from a disease when you've got no time to suffer from anything. Exactly. Um, so the movie and the soundtrack were originally supposed to come out in August, but because she was having these issues, they pushed both back. I don't think that it would have really helped them if they'd come out earlier. It just makes it into, like, an acceptable joke to make post-9-11 as you're making fun of Glitter and Mariah Carey. Mm. Um, she was... Let's see, I can't find the exact date that she was put into a hospital, but she came... She was released on <laughs> September 11th, which, like, leaving the hospital and then having 9-11, I would just, like, whoop! Turn right around. Yeah. Mind if I stay here for a little bit longer? I'll pay. I'm Mariah Carey. I can't afford this. Yes. Um, there's also the claim that having it released on or around September 11th was what killed it. Uh, this is not true because plenty of other albums released on that exact same day went uh, multi-times platinum, including uh, Nickelback's breakout album. The second worst thing to happen oh. on 9-11. Sarah, Sarah, we're Canadian. You can't just say these things. The, the Mounties are at your door now. It's funny. I was actually just reading an article yesterday that the town of Hannah, Alberta, um, is taking down their sign that says home of Nickelback um, because... <laughs> There's only 2,300 people in the town. It's not a big city. And uh, people kept taking their photograph in front of the sign, and it was causing, like, danger to motorists. Oh, no. Oh, gosh. Yes. When publicity backfires. Mm -hmm. uh, she then began, uh, around this time shortly afterward was when she got that payout for the $80 million deal where they were like, you know what? We don't want any of your albums. We will give you $28 million to go away. For which I say, I am available. <laughs> yeah. Uh, does anyone want to not have me make things and pay me for it? Uh, I can do that too. <laughs> um, yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be great? Oh, 
I could be blacklisted from so many industries. Oh my gosh. It would be phenomenal. Oh, hey, sorry. I, I'm not a super talented uh, musician. Well, <laughs> listen to my new Glockenspiel album and you tell me if, oh, you hate it. Got it. All right. Well, pay me out. Thanks. Yeah. If you think Mariah Carey has, can be annoying, you have not met me. <laughs> this is so weird. You've released 17 albums all about gay pirates, Sarah. <laughs> What's going on? Oh, buddy. They're just like freeform jazz. They they get into my mind and they're not coming out. They're going to crack me open for the autopsy and say, this is an entirely new breed of brainworms she has. <laughs> So, I want to also point out that at this point in time, Mariah Carey is 32 years old. She has been famous since the late 80s. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that people started to revise their thoughts on her talent and, uh, and mental stability around the time that she turned 30. I think that probably um, it had to factor into people's ideas of literally we are putting a dollar value on what Mariah Carey is worth. Mm-hmm. I mean, what age was Britney at when she had her mental breakdown and we all went, ooh, look at that lunatic Britney Spears. <coughs> hmm. Yeah, I don't think that she had, she had to be under 25 at that point. Brittany, I think she was around 27 oh, at okay. that point. Um, but, you know, encroaching on that Oh, age. no, you're right, because if Brittany can get through 2007, I was putting it, like, 2004 or 5 in my head. Mm-hmm. So, the astonishing thing to me is that she came back from this, because I think for pretty much anyone else this is not just a career ruiner it's like a career nuclear bomb like it should have wiped out everybody who ever worked on this thing the fact that there is Ter that Terrence Howard and Padma Lakshmi made it out of this movie is astonishing yeah that that to me I was like I saw in the credits Padma Lakshmi and I'm like are are we sure? Is that the same? Maybe it's a common name. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Oh no, that's definitely her. Oh yeah, I had to be wow. Padma L in elementary school. Yeah. No, she she was an actor first, I believe. Weird. Mm -hmm. And then she just oh, I mean, um, got really famous doing other stuff that, that she was. I don't know. I don't think she's a bad actress, but I think she's definitely better doing what she's done now. Yes, absolutely, because I would say there aren't a lot of actors in this film. There sure are a lot of people on screen, <laughs> not a whole lot of actors. You, they are definitely performing an action, but that verb is not acting. Hmm. Now, around this time, as she was recovering, um, and again, like... <laughs> Kids these days don't know how good they had it. Um... She only came out as bipolar years and years later. I think if she'd come out as bipolar at that time, it probably would have definitely killed her career. Yeah, because all of a sudden it's, ah, no, I don't think we can rely on a 
quote-unquote crazy person. Mm-hmm. So what she did when, instead... Uh, pl- plenty Sorry, of people. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, plenty of people walk around every day with all kinds of uh, neurodivergent things. And uh, it's not an issue, yet women in the spotlight, who issues abound, apparently. Mm-hmm. I, um... I just want to be clear here that, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> sounded like I was getting choked up, but I just had something in my throat. Um, I take my brain pills every day. Like I am, I am glad that she has um, vocalized her neurodiversity and I hope that she has it under control and uh, none of us can judge until you get sick. Just the same as breaking your leg or something like that. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, I am all for, hey, take care of your mental health as well as your physical health. You need those both. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the interesting thing that Mariah started to do around here is she actually sort of was like, uh, she took what I would call the Halle Berry approach. Um, Halle Berry showed up to the Razzies in person to accept her award and she gave a speech. Yep. I mean, as much as we dislike the Razzies, uh, power to Halle Berry for doing that. Yes, and it is a funny speech, if you guys have heard it. It starts with her thanking her agent who convinced her to take the film. Great. Um, So, yes, she started giving interviews where she's like, oh, you know what? Glitter glitter sucks. Everybody's right, actually. And she's like, no, I, I created it with something important in mind. And along the way, it ended up being geared to 10-year-olds. It lost a lot of grit. It was gritless, in fact. Um, And she basically said, like, yeah, it's terrible. She said in an interview later, nobody in her um, team was allowed to mention the film by name. This was around 2013. Um, And she basically went harder into hip-hop than she'd had before. Um, this was something that she wanted to do more during the first part of her career, the part with Tommy Mottola, where he's like, no, you're like a breathy diva. And she's like, I actually do want to do um, more hip-hop and remixes and stuff like that, which apparently she was a groundbreaker in, in terms of like a pop singer doing a hip-hop remix, a pop singer singing on a hip-hop song. This is crazy. Nobody does that. And 20 years later, again, it's like everybody does that. Yeah, well, welcome to the future, Mariah, the future you built. Uh, so she released one album, Charm Bracelet, after Glitter. That didn't really do okay. So then she made the album, The Emancipation of Mimi, which was largely claimed to be her comeback. Um, she started working with these hot new producers like The Neptunes and Kanye West. I haven't listened to the album myself. Apparently it's really, really good. Again, she's just not necessarily my type of music. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know who my diva is. It's Kylie Minogue. And um, sorry, Mariah, you you just can't measure up to those dulcet Australian tones. Yeah, that would be fun, actually, looking at promo photos from Mariah and Kylie in the late 80s and figuring out who had the bigger hair. God, such big hair. That's why we had that hole in the ozone layer in the 90s. <laughs> because of Kylie down under? 
Well, no, because of everyone having giant hair. Mm, yes. <laughs> I wonder, can you even buy spray deodorant anymore? I wondered because I saw it in Hot Fuzz, and I'm like, is this an English thing? Do they still have CFCs in, in their deodorant? Maybe. I I don't use spray deodorant, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I just swung completely off topic there, but it bugs me every time I think of that scene in Hot Fuzz. Yeah, it's just like, I don't use it, so my brain blocks out the possibility of it existing next to my sticks. Um. <laughs> next to your sticks. Uh, so, like her hero, uh, the Georgian-born Joseph Stalin, uh, Mariah Carey revised history and removed her detractors from the textbooks. <laughs> Sarah, are you likening Mariah Carey to noted terrible historical person, Joseph Stalin. I'm just saying that he had his enemies removed from photographs, and she didn't sing any songs off the Glitter soundtrack in concert until 2016. And I think those are the same thing. <laughs> well, I mean, little, little story about uh, trying to uh, do this episode. Uh huh. Oh, yes. <laughs> I had a real, real hard time finding this fucking movie. Like, I, I can pull up my fire stick, my little remote, and I can press the button and say, you know, I, I, I've done it. Like, something for everyone. And pop up. There it is. Something for everyone. A movie that you and I are the only people who have watched. Yes. But, and yet, and yet my fire stick goes, oh, yeah, I can definitely find that. I... I say glitter into it, and it brings up uh, a Netflix anime called Glitter Force, and that's it. And I go, huh, that's strange. Maybe I'll try it via Mariah Carey. Mariah Carey. Boop, boop. And it brings up, you know, holiday thing and various concerts and whatnot. And I'm going through it, and there's no glitter. And I go, oh, that's weird. Feels like it's been scrubbed. Like, it doesn't even give me the option of rent or buy from Amazon or whatnot. <laughs> it just, it's not there. So I go on my um, sites that allow you to find movies that you can then watch. Yeah, Mommy and Daddy's special search engine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mommy and Daddy's special search engine. I like that. Uh, so I used the special search engine and nothing and I was like, oh my god, is this going to be the first episode we do where we have to go like, we can't find this movie. Guess we got to change what we're doing. And then I went on YouTube as a Hail Mary pass and thank god, some saint out there. And by saint, I mean uh, BDSM person because <laughs> clearly they are a masochist for wanting this out there. They uh, they uploaded the whole thing onto YouTube, and YouTube's never going to listen to this podcast, so I can say that, and I watched it there. But it took me a while to get to it. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah, that's the funny like, thing, because like has... we were clearly, from what we've covered on this show, you and I have like a microscopic view of August through September 2001, and every film that was in theaters at the time, and... 
I did not think that we were going to be the only people who are not Mariah Carey fans trying to watch it. And you'd think, like, I know Mariah Carey fans. I see them online. They're, they are as powerful and vocal as Swifties and the Beehive and... BTS Army. Other pop... Yeah, BTS Army. All those people. Like, they, when they love stuff, it'll be like, oh, yeah, I just want to find that one picture of Taylor Swift eating a whole sandwich in one go. Right? And you can find it. No problem. They'll pull it up for you within five seconds. Finding glitter. Like, what? Guys, shouldn't this be real easy? Or is this a thing that even the Mariah Carey fans, they're lambs. That's right. They're called lambs. She calls them her lambs. Um, the lambs should have, like, super easy access to it. But it's not. It's funny that you bring what? up lambs, because, yeah, I, I was not aware of that before I started looking stuff up from Raya for this. And uh, she calls them her lambs and her lamely. Um, and I was like, I thought Gwen Stefani had stolen the word lamb, but apparently they were like, Gwen who? And they just storpe- st- they <laughs> storpeded through and uh, and made it their own anyways. I mean, in a battle of wills between uh, Mariah Carey and Gwen Stefani, who's really going to win? Oh, it's, it's going to be Mariah. Mariah she's, she's going to wipe the floor <laughs> with, uh, with Gwen while she's dressed as Mrs. Claus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gwen, uh, as much as I love one of your songs and uh, quite a few of the No Doubt songs you guys did, because No, no Doubt was pretty good. We like No Doubt. I'm... Um, I, as a solo artist, you did make a lot of music that cheerleaders liked to do routines to. <laughs> I'll say that. So the funny thing is, Sam, you have actually led me directly into my conclusion of background today. Because in 2018, a hashtag started trending on Twitter called hashtag justice for glitter. Oh. <gasps> Now, I remember this happening and me being like, oh, yeah, they're going on about something. It's like when you peek into any corner of Stan Twitter, it's like, I I understand the context and I'm getting out as fast as I can. Um, these were lambs demanding that um, glitter be available online. Uh, the soundtrack, the soundtrack. And basically they were saying like, it was a really good album that got overlooked. And when that happened, um, it then hit the billboard top charts in 2018. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, not just, that's. it didn't just hit the charts. It hit the chart at number 14. What? Yes. Yes. Oh my god. Oh, I was also looking. She also holds um, huge records for being um, most uh, highest sales among three different eras, um, like classic music store, uh, digital download, and then streaming. It's like, oh yeah, I guess she does stretch through all of these different eras. Wow, that's that's wild. And I'm so glad that Justice for Glitter was not about Gary Glitter. <laughs> no. 
I imagine there's probably some poor man in England called like Gary Litter, and he's like, not like that. No. Oh, they won't let me change my name. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's be been this big reappraisal of glitter. Um, like like we said, it's bizarrely weird to hard to find them, this movie online. Um, and until this 2018 move, the soundtrack was the same. Um, a lot of people have come to appreciate the soundtrack. She occasionally performs medleys of songs from it. It's still not obviously like she's not opening with medley from Glitter, which is the name of my third album. Yeah. <laughs> but basically what was thought to be the low point of her career and probably a low point of her life um, has been reappraised as like, no, it's good. We still love it. We we are Mariah Carey fans. We want more Mariah Carey. Please give us more. Yeah, I I don't know how it stands up in the canon of Mariah Carey, uh, because again, this this music this music isn't for me. It just it just isn't. It's fine. I I know what I like, and you know, it's just not this. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Mariah, if you're listening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, do you want to get into the movie? One one last note before we do. Um, I assume yes. you never saw the movie Precious, correct? Wait, which one's Precious? Is based that on the novel Push the by Sapphire. Push by Saf? Okay, yes. No, I have not seen it. Okay. Mariah Carey's in it. Um, and she gives oh, a yeah. widely praised performance with people calling it astonishingly natural and some of the best work she had ever done. That was eight years later. So, well, good for her. She's even overcome the. I mean, she's not credited as a writer on this. She basically was a writer of the screenplay, and they did improv a lot too. Um. But I think she has basically overcome everything that is bad in Glitter. She has punched back and said, no, actually, I can do this and I can do this better than any of you. Kind of like Glitter itself. Well, well, what? What, what? But yeah, that was my uh, yeah. my postscript on uh, her acting career. Let's get into the movie itself. Yes, let's. Uh, so, in case anybody wants to bow out here, <laughs> if, you watched, <laughs> if you watched Purple Rain, or Josie and the Pussycats, or Star is Born, uh, you've, you've already got this movie covered, and better. Yeah, just watch a Star is Born, cool. any, any version, it's going to be a lot better. Yeah, I, I would like to make a new rule for the podcast. We can only cover one band slash singer trying to come up through the world and making it big in the music industry per year. So uh, you've done it, Sarah. You've already used our one for this year. God damn it. That means I have to remove the squeak wool from next month. Yep. <laughs> Sorry about that. We did Josie and the Pussycats year one. We did Purple Rain year two. And Glitter Year 3. Yeah, we were actually uh, batting astonishingly high for this type of movie, considering we were at 100% before we hit, before we struck Glitter. 
yeah, we, we had found all these nuggets of gold, and oh shit, what's this? Uh, it's shale. Stupid, stupid shale. <laughs> what do we even use shale for? Nothing. Don't come at me, geologists. Our huge following in the geology community. Anyway, uh, the movie opens on a muted color palette nightclub. And when I say, like, muted color palette, I mean the whole thing. It's just like, what if sad things were happening and the world reflected how sad it was by not having much color in it? Yeah, I was I was honestly going gets... like, is this sepia? It feels halfway to sepia. Yeah, it's like uh, if you were watching uh, Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, the black and white uh, version, the one that slowly turns black and white over time, mm -hmm. you're about like at hour 1.15 here. <laughs> anyway, uh, those in the know will understand what I mean by that, and those not in the know, haha, <laughs> go fuck yourself, I guess. <laughs> Watch Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, it's dope. <laughs> yes, so at this nightclub, a Love woman you. gets on stage. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're one of a kind. Keep going. I am one of a kind. You find other incredibly muscular drag queens out there. I dare ya. <laughs> They're not there. It's just me, baby. <gasps> oh, oh, I wanted to tell you this on air. I went to a flea market today, and in it, it had the largest Barbie museum in Canada. <gasps> Ooh. Mm -hmm. Including, like, there had to have been over a dozen, like, bookcases full, uh, including the Trixie doll, which I noted was not actually a Mattel release, unfortunately. Ah, oh, boo. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, well. But yeah, kids, if you wonder what I do well, in my uh, off time from recording hit podcasts, I go to flea markets and Barbie museums. Yeah, and if you want to know what I do, it's lifting weights. And fucking. <laughs> there, there we go. No, no, there's no fucking. God, there's no fucking. Uh, anyway, drunk lady gets up on stage, the crowd likes her, but it's clear it's meant to be this, ah, uh, the best days are behind her kind of scenario. In order to finish the song, because she's too drunk to keep on singing, she invites a very blonde-wigged daughter, uh, we all know this is Mariah Carey, this is baby Mariah Carey, on stage to finish the song with her. And wouldn't you know it, she can sing! Incredible. People love it. Oh, well, well, Sparkle well. sound transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, if if you don't like bad Foley work, you're going to hate this movie. Because they love to throw a sound over every single scene transition. I, um, <sighs> at this point... It's not revealed yet that this is a period piece movie. So I was wondering why her mom was singing in this nightclub that looked like early 70s, late 60s. Like, this was conceivably something that Mad Men could film, this scene. I mean, it would have been good, mm -hmm. but they could have made it. Um, but I was just like, is, is this movie taking place in a world where, like... Smoky jazz clubs are still an extremely popular culture draw. 
Well, I, I think even in that scene, the Smoky Jazz Club was not an extremely popular yeah, that's draw. true. <laughs> anyway, uh, because of this sparkle sound transition, mom and daughter go to a nice house where she begs Mariah's white dad, because mom is uh, a black woman and dad is not a black woman because he is a white man, <laughs> for her money. <laughs> the two genders. Because she can't... Av- <laughs> yeah. Because she can't afford to feed her anymore. She's like, oh no, what are we going to do? Uh, and so he gives her some money and then he poo-poos them away. And that's it. You never see him again. There's no resolution with this character whatsoever because it's not a character. Because anyway, this movie doesn't Mariah's understand mo- <laughs> what a scene is. We didn't actually have to see the dad. No. Oh my god. There, there, no joke. I, no joke. There are 15 second scenes in this movie, and they do not need to exist. And this was the, this was 2001. I, this was, they were doing everything practically. It's not that, like, they were doing, like, a green screen thing, and they were like, oh, let's sneak in an extra 15 minutes of improv, you know? No. <laughs> they, they deliberately put in all of these extra scenes that do not need to work. And uh, can we talk about the editing now? Oh, uh, all right. Let's let's get the editing out of the way right here. Because I feel like right now the editing to- so strongly affects this story that, um, like, if we just tell you the synopsis, you're gonna be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. No, it doesn't. No. Like, fully. There, I'm not joking when I say there are scenes that are 15 seconds long. There are just these wild choices in terms of, like, a character will go into an apartment to yell at someone, and then that scene is over. And it has no bearing upon the rest of the movie other than to establish, I guess, someone's upset? <sighs> There's no... And then you get a lot of... Sorry, go on. Yeah, go uh, you get a lot of um, late 90s, early 2000s music video editing in this as well. I don't think... A lot of... For for some of the effects that you're yeah, mentioning, yeah. things like they occasionally go into like a weird slow motion and stuff like that. I think this is stuff where they had to mm-hmm. change it afterwards because they decided to go slow motion or something like that. And they hadn't compensated for it on the day, I think. I think that's part of why it looks so shitty. maybe maybe it's it's hard to tell because you know the the director is not always the editor and it's not always uh sometimes you know the studio walks in and says that we want to add in this kind of thing it's i'm not trying to play a blame game here Mm -hmm. of ah yes this person definitely fucked up but more so just well whatever choices were made has led to this being Probably one of the worst edited films I've ever seen. Because editing should be invisible. You shouldn't notice cuts and you shouldn't notice, uh, you know, uh, camera motions and scene transitions, right? It all unfolds and you go along with it. And occasionally you'll notice the odd thing here or there where you're like, wow, that was really cool. This movie is standing there and just going, I'm editing this scene now! And slams its head into the table to mash the buttons of editing. 
I was watching, I was just rewatching like 30 minutes of it before we started recording. And there's a scene where Terrence Howard and um, uh, Dice are having a conversation and there are like Ugh. three jump cuts in the shot. I don't think there are jump cuts yes. anywhere oh. else in the movie. It feels like they were like, let's trim this movie down, but only by three seconds. And it's not like they it, it don't was... work. Like it's kind of a tense Ooh. scene. But you're like you can't just use three jump cuts in a row and then never again throughout the rest of the movie. There's no coherent style happening in the film, right? <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. There's it's like it's trying for style over substance, but even the style isn't there. I um so I started thinking that there were no style you don't have substance because you said like you said we have these transitions throughout which will be like you know a fast zoom across the Brooklyn Bridge or something like that or staring at the Statue of Liberty as you circle around it that sort of thing um, that wind up feeling like like sitcom interstitials because as well there's never any establishing shots and I wrote that down no establishing shots and like halfway through the movie and then I started to spot them here and there. But for the most part, you never have any idea where characters are inter in relation to each other. There's there's one scene where um, where Dice leaves the bar, talks to Mariah, and then comes back in. But because there's an interstitial between, I didn't realize that he was walking into the same bar as before. I thought this was like a week later or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, like, the movie is set in New York. But usually movies set in New York like to very much ground themselves. Like, oh, this is Brooklyn. This is Queens. This is Manhattan. Things I know about New York. And this movie instead says, New York. Yeah, that's about it. Um, yeah, yeah it, it, I noticed... <laughs> And maybe this is just because, like, Mariah is a very famous person and she didn't want to uh, cause anarchy or anything like that. But I noticed there's, like, there's no scenes with her with lots of other people unless it's she's performing on the stage. And that's it. Like, she's never, like, walking down the street surrounded by other New Yorkers, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It's... Um... Uh, some of these, some of these streets look like sets, and uh, some of these sets are definitely sets as well. Mm -hmm. So who knows how much on location shooting was done? But uh, yeah, there's there's just a whole lot of choices being made behind the camera that I just don't know who to lay these choices down at and say. Ah, yes. The problem lies with X. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's... When you take into account as well that this isn't just a big Hollywood movie, but that the star has her own team who will want input on everything, it's kind of astonishing that it made it through all of those layers. But at the same time, this could just be like too many people wanted to put their thumbprint on it. 
Yeah, but we, we've had that successfully before. See Purple Rain. Yeah. Uh, a movie that knows what it's trying to say, knows who the star is, and is playing the star's strengths incredibly well. Mm-hmm. For the first half of this movie, Mariah Carey doesn't want to sing. That's not a great... That's not a great way to showcase Mariah Carey singing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, uh, aside from all that, let's try to get back to the plot as yeah, much sorry as there about is. That. Because we're barely into this movie. Anyway, Mariah's mom burns down the house one night because she fell asleep with a lit cigarette. Non-stop tragedy has happened. Mm-hmm. So... Baby Mariah gets taken away, and it's in sad slow motion, and she has a little kitten with her. This is important because later on you find, <laughs> you, you see her with the cat, and you go, how much time has passed between these early scenes and the later scenes? Because that cat looks fine. The cat looks like he has barely aged. Like, it's definitely a kitten in the first scene, but the second cat could be anywhere from, like, two to ten years old. And I was like, okay, well, if I think about the logic of the story, Mariah's probably playing much younger than her actual age at the time. And even still, I'm like, (laughs) seeing the cat really took me out. I I was thinking that this, this was secretly a movie about an immortal cat. On top of it, the cat does not show up anywhere between now <laughs> yes. and much later into the film. Suddenly, the cat's alive. Good news, everyone. The cat lives through this movie if you were worried <laughs> about it. Anyway, baby Mariah and her kitten get taken away to an orphanage? Yep, yep, I- it's I'm an orphanage. Sure a- it's okay. It might orphanage. as well be run by nuns or something like that. Yeah, this this movie... Again, I was going to look this up, but uh, like I'm no expert on uh, the foster care system or anything like that. But like, wouldn't there be work to get her mom into affordable housing first? Why? Why would you go to? I I can't. <laughs> I can't take care uh, of my child. Uh, take her uh, away. <laughs> don't don't even worry about it, yeah. Sarah. It's it's not important to the emotion that's happening here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she immediately makes friends at the orphanage, and then over a series of photographs, she becomes a nightclub dancer in 1983. Fun fact, everyone, this is a period piece movie set in 1983. It The movie will remind you just this once, and never again, because it might as well be set at any goddamn time in, in, in anywhere. Okay. This is my big argument about the costuming of the film and how it hurts the story. So throughout... Let's go. Yes. Throughout, um, you would not know this was a 1983 story unless you were specifically told because nobody is dressing like it. There is like one old car that you see and you're like, oh yeah, it's the 80s. But other than that, nobody's hair, makeup, or styling is 80s at all. What it's what the style actually is that they're all wearing is what was hot in 2001. Yep. So I, I wanted Along to Along with everyone's hair. Yes. Oh, the hair stuff is so bad. When she's got her flat ironed hair, I'm like, what are we talking about? Because I did find a Vogue article that was like, 
oh yeah, the Glitter the Movie sucks, but the costumes are really good. Um, it's from two years ago. So it's basically saying like, it's really cool because everybody in it is wearing 2001 fashion, which was then coming into fashion again two years ago. Um, because to me, the problem is if you're wearing 2001 fashion and you are making a period piece, that fashion looks so similar to like the mid to late seventies that to me, it looks like they are making a movie. Yes. 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 They are making a movie set in 1983 with all of these people who are hideously out of fashion. (sighs) Not just out of fashion, but everything's so scattershot. It's like nobody working on the film actually existed during 1983. (laughs) There was uh, no recordings of the time. I, it was the it was the little dark age. We know about eighty two and eighty four. We have those categorized, but no. The fact that the DJ's hair is so two thousand and one, <laughs> like yeah. If you if you guys want to know so like two thousand what what the cute boy look of this time was, it's it's this guy in wearing his Seth Green plays Mark Wahlberg costume. Mm-hmm. That's oh, ooh, this movie. <laughs> anyway, the plot is not the uh, worst thing. I guess it, is what we can say about it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, during a break between dancing things, Terrence Howard and Padma Lakshmi show up backstage and want to hire the three girls friends as a backup singers for Silk, who is Padma Lakshmi. And Mariah turns them down. She's all like, no, we're going to make it on our own. And her friends are like, um, that that was a job. Don't you want a job? Yeah. We, so she goes, oh, fine. I guess we can. I guess I, Mariah Carey, sing professionally and never thought, maybe I should make a go of this. <laughs> yeah. So we cut to a recording studio, and it turns out that Padma can't sing for shit. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Like, and did anyone did anyone honestly think this wasn't going to be the case? You? You in the back? Oh, you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> to be fair, I hope La- anyway. Padma Lakshmi can't sing, because if she can, then that's just unfair. <laughs> yeah, that's also unfair. Uh, so Terrence decides to secretly mute Padma's vocals and use Mariah's vocals instead. Oh no, it's a Millie Vanilli situation all over again. The the funny thing and sorry. Um Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, I just completely blanked. Ignore me. Keep going. Okay. Uh, so this is where I first started noticing the speedy uh, city transition shots, at which point I decided to start writing down the word drink every time it happened. So here you guys go. Your first ever drinking game to go with a movie. It's the movie Glitter. You will drink every time a speedy city transition shot happens. You ready? All right. Go for it. Now, at the nightclub, we see a DJ being given the new track to play by Padma, who is there to perform somehow. I, I, I don't know how he doesn't know this is happening, but it, it, 
whatever. He's a DJ slash club owner, I think, slash producer. Somehow he's got a lot of money and fingers in a lot of pots. Whatever. Okay. Yeah, this is one of the weird times inside the... Which also, like... Is this club meant to be like a club kid thing? So they have people wearing giant masks and things like that. But like a club kid thing that's not black or queer at all. It's it's also like oddly mainstream at the same time. And I don't know about you, but club kids is it's underground. It's underground for a reason, right? It's a safe space. (laughs) So I, I don't know. Anyway. Um, somehow Mariah isn't freaking out that her vocals are being used for another woman on stage. Like, if I heard my voice as the voice of the title track and she's lip syncing to it, I'd be like, I'm sorry, what? I would be like, I am happy to continue this ruse for $50,000 a month. (laughs) Yeah, please either pay me Boku bucks and I will definitely keep this up or uh, I'm going to go drag you. (laughs) Anyway, uh, and this is where I wrote down, has the costumer for this film ever seen pictures from 1983? <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's a bit where the, basically the only non-Mariah song plays, which is Heart of Glass. And like Mariah yes. Carey is dancing to it and she looks great. And everybody around her looks like fun. And this moment of joy with music will never be repeated for the rest of the movie. No, it is the closest thing to truth that we have in this film. <laughs> oh, God. So um, Padma gets asked backstage for photographs, and she's all like, oh, no, just of me. Those three are backup singers. So Mariah decides to sing part of the lyrics to prove she's the real singer as a big old fuck you, and I appreciate that energy. <laughs> so the, the DJ follows her out, and asks to hear more from her. Oh, it's kind of like a meat cute. His name is Dice, and I hate it, and I won't refer to him as Dice in these notes. He is just the DJ from henceforth. I... Because it's a bad name. I noticed on my second watch through, and I didn't know if this was uh, on him in all scenes, but when they're lying in bed after... The, the necklace? The necklace. He wears a necklace that says Dice vertically. Dice. <laughs> Oh my god, I just like, yeah, hold on, let me just adjust my my necklace that says Sam on it, in case I've forgotten who I am. It's not like you're wearing a Sam necklace, it's like you're wearing a Reese Indigo necklace. You're like, no, this is my cool name that everybody should call me by now. Yeah, I, I, I turned the necklace upside down to look at it, because, you know, from where I, I look at it, it just looks like it says mass, and that's why I'm a bodybuilder. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, the second it stops reading mass is when I stop. I'm big enough then. Yeah, yeah, that's how it works. So, uh, he takes her to his club again, or another club, not sure. He's got a lot of clubs, maybe, and he starts a freestyling competition on the dance floor. For, like, singers and rappers, you know, open mic stuff. A normal thing that happens in nightclubs all the time, right? Oh, yeah, I would definitely pay $20 for a beer in that place. Um, But it's better than what they normally play, which is a drum fill. (laughs) It's like they they didn't put in the final music for the scene. 
Yeah, so, you know, the beat's happening, and he's going up to random people on the floor, and they're spitting out lyrics and making rhymes and stuff. And then he goes up to Mariah, and he's he's like, ah, and she's all, no, I, I, I don't sing. And he's like, oh, come on. And she's all, oh, well, little old me? Well, I guess... Ah! And she hits all of her fucking notes. And everybody goes, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. They love it. Of course the people love it. So she and Dice leave the club where he tells her he's going to produce her. And she agrees and explodes into a burst of sparkles. And I'm not He's joking. not joking. The, the, editing, the editing decided at this point to superimpose a shower of sparks on top of her from like, I don't know, a grinding wheel or a welding bench or something. I do, is it supposed to evoke that she feels like like she's exploding with joy or something because this kind of thing will happen a couple of times over the course of the movie for no other reason than to remind us that the name of the movie is glitter and the word glitter is used once and not in reference to anything cool what if there are cutscenes that explain that it's 1983 and mariah keeps walking through the set of flash dance oh can you wouldn't that be a better movie? Why aren't we doing Flashdance? Yeah. Is what I'm saying. That's a that's a much better movie. Anyway. I haven't even seen it and I know it's a better movie because it had a cultural impact. Mm -hmm. Watch it. It's uh it's really cute. So. Oh, okay. I like Jennifer Beals. Mm -hmm. So the DJ talks to Terrence Howard about taking the girls under his producing wings. And Terrence Howard's like, uh, over my dead body, I own them contractually. And the DJ's like, well, if you ever want to hear your music played in my club again, you'll give me these girls. And I, are we, are we supposed to be sympathetic towards him? Like, is this a, aha, finally a good man shows up to help them out? Or is it a... Ah, see, he wishes to control them from the very get-go. I don't think the movie ever but makes Ter a decision on it. Terrence counters the offer by saying, all right, well, give me $100,000 and I'll give you her contract. That's a lot of money in 1983. Terrence, uh, Terrence Howard is so good in this movie. Um, I find him very charismatic. I think he's amazing in everything. Um, he's a terrible person. I, I do just want to say that. Um, have you heard about his math theorem? Oh, is he? His math theorem? Yes. He invented a type of math he calls teriology. Okay. Yes, and he claims that it will be used to prove the statement one times one equals two. What? Yeah, that's Terrence Howard. Um, I really, really like his acting. I wish he was a little bit more uh, clued in in other parts of his life. Are, are you fucking with I am me? not fucking with you. If you look up Terryology. It's on Terrence Howard's um, 
uh, Wikipedia page, and you can also find um, he posted his proof for one times one equals two on Twitter. What? I feel like this is a joke. I'm waiting for the punch. No, line. seriously, look it up. Uh, the burden of proof falls on you, Sarah. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's how that works. I apologize. I'll have my people send an affidavit. Uh, thank you very much. Um, uh, Judge, may we get back to the plot at hand? <laughs> so the DJ gets the girls and sets them up in a recording studio with a knockoff version of Prince's 1999, which then immediately transitions into them performing several times on stage at the club. I guess. I mean, it's his club and it's his music, so he can do whatever he wants. She also switches costume throughout the number, so, like, you can know that this is multiple performances, but she only changes once. Like, give me the rule of threes here. So, yeah, give us three and, and make them bigger, bigger, better costumes each time. But they don't. So the DJ and Mariah meet with some records du- record dudes immediately after the second performance, I guess. How do you know that they work for a but, record label? Uh, because they're constantly being referred to as they work for a record label. Also, they seem like the scum of the earth. Also, one of them is wearing a satin shirt with records all over it. Oh, oh, geez, I didn't notice that. My goodness. Um, Choices. Mm -hmm. But the DJ decides to turn them down because he knows a bigger record should take her on. That's where she belongs, in the big leagues. And she's all like, but a record. And he's like, nah, babe, we're going to hold out for better. And uh, because this movie doesn't like to do anything close to surprises... Yeah, that'll that'll happen in like the next scene. So yeah, like was it meant club, to say uh, again that he was a bad guy and that he is just using her to further his career, or like was he actually just right and this is good business acumen? I can never figure out what the movie wants us to to feel. I don't know. It's so hard to figure this out. But after a city transition drink. They're told by another DJ that a different record label is there, so they go and find them. They want to talk business the next day, and then it's the next day, because that is how little this movie cares about, like, actually going from scene to scene. It'll just be like, oh, we we should meet tomorrow. Tomorrow? We're meeting. Uh, There's a lot of executives, and they're all excited to have her sign. City transition drink. This, uh, this signing scene was what made me think of uh, the apple. And I was like, God, the apple oh, did God. this scene so much better. Yes, the apple is better than this fucking movie <laughs> Like, we're as not well. talking ironically. Like, it's one of the best parts of the apple. It's, it's visually creative when glitter isn't. It's got mm-hmm. fun music that glitter doesn't. Oh, my God. Like, it, it, I appreciate... A big swing and glitter doesn't swing no it stands at the plate and it bunts every single <laughs> ball that comes toward it 
baseball metaphor. This is the best that you're going to get for a baseball metaphor from me for the rest of this show's existence. We're going to pivot to being a sports talk radio podcast. <laughs> okay, alright. To be fair, for the last six months, I have been a sports talk radio. <laughs> the only thing is, my sport has just been bodybuilding. So, you know. <laughs> God. We need to keep on with this plot. Let's go. <laughs> City transition drink. Back at her apartment, she gets ready for a not date date with the DJ. City transition drink. <laughs> I'm not joking when I say there's so many of these. After 15 minute scenes. 15 second scenes. 15 second scenes. He gives her a rose and they go to a fancy just a restaurant Sorry. where she asks if it's a date. Just a it, sec. Sam? Yeah, what? Somebody keeps what? knocking at my door. Just a mm-hmm. sec. Oh, yeah, yeah. Knock, knock, knocking at Sarah's door. Hey, 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 hey. You can edit that out, Sarah, if you need to. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry being quiet now. Okay, that was really weird. Hmm, what was it? You there? Yep, yeah, I'm here. What was that? So I had to get my, um, uh, I I had a tech from Rogers come in because I was having issues with my internet speed and he's like, oh, the actual cable like in the building has to be replaced. It's like 25 years old. Um, and he's like, I'll be back sometime with my boss. And I'm oh. like, okay. And then that was him just showing up. Then I hadn't realized that he was coming. Like, he hadn't let me know. Or if he did, it's been since we started recording. So basically, he was like, can we come in and change the cable now? And I was like, I'm kind of in the middle of something, guys. It's all those sexy photo shoots you've been doing. Yeah. So, um, my, my internet should be upgraded sometime, like, a week and a half from now, he says. So I'll have to make sure that I am, like, Hooray. fit for human consumption <laughs> at all times. <laughs> yeah. Answering the door in your, your billowy widow's outfit. <laughs> my husband, you say. He's what? He's dead? Oh... And the, the, the studly 
bell technician will have to catch you before you faint. <laughs> and this is your mute cute. Anyway. Yes. Sorry uh, about that. Where were we? No, it's okay. Oh, yeah. So they go to this fancy restaurant where apparently food had already been ordered for them because they're immediately given escargot. And she asks him, is this a date? And he goes, no, it's absolutely not a date. And it totally is a date because at the end of the date, he invites her upstairs. Totally a date. And somehow this DJ slash club owner has the most incredible apartment in all of 1983. Uh, this guy also has a, a very thick accent. He, uh, he talks like this because he's from New York. The actor is English. I looked it well, up and I was like, there's no way a guy performing with this thick an accent is not doing a bit. Yeah, he's British. It's it's not just that. There There's several things that are just off-putting about the accent. First off, it's very New York. But second, it's also got that very late 90s, early 2000s of a white guy mm. putting on a bit of a black scent. Mm-hmm. And then also coupled with the fact that the the actor playing him, his last name is Beasley. A very English last name. <laughs> Beasley. Yes, his name is actually Maxton. That's the name Maxton. of my butler. It's his first name, Maxton Beasley. <laughs> yeah. Who actually defends this movie. He says, hey guys, it's a pretty good movie. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd sit down if I were you, but I'm sorry. But anyway... He shows her his marimba, not a euphemism. Yeah, there's a sexy marimba solo in this movie. God, I just... Uh, well, she makes a bunch of bedrooms eyes at him as he plays, and they kiss, and then they fuck behind some corrugated sliding doors, and he tells her, you're different. Drink! she's at the new recording studio going over a new track and it's already on the radio shortly thereafter I don't know what the turnaround this movie cannot edit itself to let you understand what kind of time passes between each scene because it barely lets you sit in a scene as it is so I don't know if it's been like an hour a day ten weeks who knows? This but it's this on really the backfires in the last scene too because, um, as far as we know, she has released one album and has gone on no tours because they are not referred to in the movie. We don't see them. As far as we know, this woman has released one really big single. Yeah, at one point in the film, they do say that it's been number one in the charts for ten weeks. Oh, okay. And I go. What has it been? Ten weeks since that point of the film? I, I don't. I, I don't know. We'll get to it eventually. I'm sure. But yeah, everyone's super excited, and nothing bad will ever happen in this film. And then we transition via sparkling confetti to a photo shoot slash music video, and the video director wants to see more of her breasts and. To fire her friends. Your backup singer, friends, dancers, they suck. So instead, we're bringing in four men who are going to grope you without your consent because we've just pushed them into this scene right now. All right. Well, Mariah's not happy having lost her friends as well as doing the video in lingerie. But uh, 
the DJ is constantly like, no, no, this isn't what she wants. And Mariah's like, well, you know, it's, it's a job and I did sign contracts. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go through with this. I'm a little uncomfortable, but I don't feel terrible right now. And he's like, no, we're out of here. And then they, he storms off with her. So again, is he the good guy or the bad guy in this situation? The problem is we don't ever really know what Mariah wants. As a character, she is just an... And yeah, her, her character isn't named Mariah, but she's Mariah. You, you never see her assert yeah, she's Mariah. that any of this is what she wants or what she doesn't want. Um, is she upset that they turned down the first record offer? Who knows? Because we don't know how she feels about the second offer, you know? Um, we never see her express any want. She'll sometimes whisper to her boyfriend, can you tell them to do this? I don't like what they're doing. But other than that, that's it. And I wonder if it's like, maybe it's a strategy that Mariah herself picked up of like, oh, they call you a diva, so don't demand things. Or whether they just were like, no, she's she's a little Barbie doll. People project what they want on her. Yeah, yeah. Are we doing Are we doing a Hello Kitty with her, where the audience can project their emotions onto her and go like, "Oh yeah, I would totally be upset in this scene," and she's correct, or I wouldn't be upset at all, and he's being a douche or something. Ah mm-hmm. uh, no. Anyway, in this scene, she also gets a publicist who will pop up every once in a while to do publicist things, but she doesn't matter. After this whole debacle, she talks with her friends about them being fired, and she's like, no, but I still love you guys, and everything's going to be fine, so they make up and they go shopping. And I, you know, from Josie and the Pussycats and everything else, I always had the feeling that, ah, they will have a massive falling out, and that's going to be the crux of it, right? Mm -hmm. She and her friends learning to be friends again. No, the movie's not interested in that either. Absolutely not. Uh, So, the publicist shows up one day in the future, who knows what future, with photos for a magazine, but the DJ hates all of them because he says that they make her look like a porn star. Again, is he actually protecting her, or is he, like, so crazy controlling that he's like, no, my woman will never be seen sexually by other people? That's the thing. Who knows? It's, I think, I was I was throwing it round and round in my head, and I was like, okay, well, what do I think? Just flat on uh, viewing the film without any idea of what they were trying to say. Like, flat on, this story is about a couple where either side may be abusive, honestly. They're both terrible people. They don't seem to actually like each other very much, and they just shouldn't be together no matter what. Yeah, just, I I want the movie, there, there are some movies that can be ambiguous, and that's fine, where they allow the audience to make up their own mind about things, but at least, you know, they'll try and give equal weight to several options. This movie isn't giving weight to any options, because it's just sitting down and going like, Oh yeah, and then then this happened. What do you think about it? Yeah. 
I, 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 I don't know. Like, can I get more context? Absolutely not. Can I get some interiority of the co- characters? <laughs> not on your life. Can Mariah say something? <laughs> She'll sing. Yeah, it's like the the stuff with her her friends being fired. You're like, oh, okay, this will come back in the third act. You know, it'll be like, oh, you betray your, the people closest to you. Or they'll be upset and they'll break off their uh, their friendship. No, no, they, they stay friends. She She's upset about it, oh. but not enough to, to force it. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, uh, Terrence Howard shows up again to give a little uh, talk to the DJ. He's all, you know, turns out fame isn't cracked up what it's supposed to be. And the DJ fires back with a, well, fuck you. Yeah. Because he still owes that $100,000 to Terrence Howard. Like, okay. All right. Will this be resolved? Not in the way you think it will be. (laughs) Yeah, I had assumed that somehow, just like he has this massive apartment with tons of expensive musical equipment, like I had assumed that since they hadn't mentioned the money again, he'd already paid off the contract. Nope. Or, or he'd be pay, paying it off in like installments or something, I yeah. guess, because that would also make sense. Apparently, he hasn't given a single dollar of it over to Terrence Howard, and Terrence is being unreasonably cool with this. Yes, he apparently isn't charging any interest either. <laughs> no, he's just like, well, I'm just gonna wait for that hundred thousand dollars that you owe me. Mm-hmm. I'll make odd threats here and there, but uh, won't follow through on it until the last minute. The most dramatic minute. (laughs) Anyway, Mariah surprises the DJ with a Yamaha keyboard back at his place. Um, Real real romantic. I looked at it and I was like, he owns a marimba. What would he need with a Yamaha keyboard, honey? (laughs) Like... (laughs) It's cool that you can press this button and it makes a cool island back background sound. Do, 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 or something like that. <laughs> Who knows? Well, he invites her to move in, being all, oh, wouldn't it be more practical? You're, you're staying here so much. And uh, so she does. And she's looking at a box of all her mom's old stuff and she spills the truth to him about being given up by her mom and how she dreams of one day being up on stage and looking into the crowd and there's her mom and her mom goes, I'm so proud of you. And her being like, wow, me becoming famous fixed all of my issues. <laughs> so, so she writes a song about her mom from the heart. Drink. She decides to go to a government thing. They, they don't say maybe I don't know if it's supposed to be like social services or whatever they never say <laughs> Mariah only says um, aren't you supposed to keep track of people and the government worker says people fall through the cracks <laughs> you're like is this is this some sort of like you say child and family services or like some sort of civic service or something like that or I don't know a change of address forms the- who knows <laughs> Is it the DMV? Is it the passport office? It could be any number of places that the film doesn't want to tell us. Lady behind the desk goes, hmm, yeah, it seems like your mom fell off the radar, like, uh, 
something years ago, uh, a number of years that we won't say because we don't want to put any specific numbers on things here. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have no idea where she is. Okay. All right. Bye. So why have that scene? Ugh. Anyway, I'm happy for the actress who got to play that agent. You know, she got a, she got a job out of it. Yeah, great. Love that for her. And uh, guess what? You get to drink again. In the studio, we find out the record wants to push a full record out as soon as possible because her single has been at number one for 10 weeks. They want her to make a pop dance song and she's all, no, I'm not sure if I want to do that. And this comes back to you having said that she wanted, she was forced to do pop dance stuff Mm -hmm. when she really wanted to go into hip hop things. And so, ah, art imitating life. Look at that. Look at that. Back at his apartment, DJ says that the record hates all of the songs she made and that they're trying to get her to make a dance song and that they also super hated the song that she made about her mom. So I don't know if he's lying to her here or if he's telling the truth. Because the, you're exactly because, right. The scene goes on just long enough that you're like, wait, is he making this shit up? Because it keeps getting worse. And it feels like he's like, and another thing I hate about you. I mean, the record hates about you. The thing that the record hates about you. Yeah. So he tells her to do what the record wants for this album. And that way, when the album does really well, when the next album comes around, uh, they can just do whatever they want, right? Because that's absolutely how it works in the the album making business, (laughs) right? Drink. The publicist tells her that she's been invited to a big awards show. And at the rehearsals for the show, she is given next to no instruction And she just walks out on stage and sings a song. And another singer walks off stage. And as he walks off stage, he's checking her out because she's real good looking. And he's a fairly handsome guy. I I would go so far as to say, like, this is one of the handsomest men on earth. This is, I I was looking at, I was like, this is a model, right? No, he's a musician. He is, he's a Lenny Kravitz type, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you could easily have said, oh, yeah, this is Lenny Kravitz. Yeah. But they're not going to because of legal reasons. And also 1983. <laughs> <sighs> but, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a, it's a thought. Hmm. Anyway, drink. It's the awards ceremony. <laughs> she gets talked to by a movie producer who wants to put her in a movie, Kel Surprise. But then she gets taken away for a surprise. Why... It's the hot Lenny Kravitz dude from the rehearsals. He talks smooth to her and asks if they can collaborate. A rink. But the DJ shows up and he is getting jealous. And he tells her to get the girls and that they're leaving right now. And again, the movie refuses to tell us. Is he wildly jealous? Or does he know something about this guy that he's trying to legitimately protect her from? We don't know either way, and the movie refuses to tell us. Exactly, because they never give, you know, 
it's never clear when he says to her, oh, you know, I'm not jealous of that guy. I just think he really does want to be with you. Um, that sort of thing. It's never clear whether he he is right. And if he's right, then it would be some sort of reasoning for him acting like that. So it's kind of important that we know whether she's right to stay with this absolute asshole. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, in the car ride back, they are having an argument right in front of her friends. He even says that she's dressed like a slut, and then he insults both of her friends. He's like, you, shut your trap. You, you're fat. And this is, like, pretty cementing, damning evidence of, oh, no, he's a terrible person. I don't care how much stress you're under. Uh, talking to your girlfriend and her best friends this way, not great. So I was very firmly against this dude for the rest of the film and absolutely hated the end where they tried to redeem him. Absolutely. Like, he... This is where I started to click to, oh, he's drinking right now. This is They're starting to lead us into a Star is Born thing. But I think the whole point of all the other versions of A Star is Born is that it shows them like really clicking as two people first and then him succumbing to a, uh, addiction. Whereas this was like, what if he was an asshole the whole time and he also sometimes drank? Yeah. Like I wrote down here, it's not even a slow descent into villainy. I hope he explodes. <laughs> That's what the sparks are. Yeah. So her friends get out of the car and walk home. And Mariah refuses to get out of the car. She's like, no, I'm going to ride back in very awkward silence with this absolute asshole. (laughs) So back at the apartment, she has a pretty cry. You know, that kind of like, oh, one solitary tear came out, but it didn't smudge any makeup. Don't worry. And uh, he kind of tries to apologize for the way he's acting. He's like, I I love you. I want you to be part of this. And we wouldn't be here without you. It's like, oh, okay. Anyway, Mariah goes out onto the street either immediately after or days after (laughs) or weeks after. Because again, time means nothing. And she runs into an unhoused woman who, hmm, perhaps this unhoused woman could be the mom she's been searching for. She's singing. Uh, she's black. She does have a beautiful voice I, I like really, her mother did. She, she does have a beautiful voice. But it's just one of those things of like, oh, could, could it be? Could this be Mariah's mom? And instead, Mariah just like awkwardly walks by because she's like, I don't know what to do in this situation. This comes to nothing. Like, absolutely nothing. No. Drink. Same way... Back at the apartment, she's... For this um, American Music Awards thing, she she wanted the boyfriend to come watch her perform, and uh, he didn't. And then we never see any fallout. She, She thought he was going to be there. He didn't. Is this important to them? Did they ever talk about this? No. No, of course not. <laughs> why would we why would we be concerned with characters' interiority and their thought processes? 
Anyway, back at the apartment, she's confronted by Terrence Howard, who's looking for D- the DJ. He gives a quick threaten, as well as dropping, that the DJ basically bought her for money that he owes him. Okay, drink. The DJ shows back up. I don't know why we had a cityscape transition when it just went from the apartment to the same apartment, but we did. Sure, why not? (laughs) The DJ shows back up, and Mariah explains that Terrence was just here and what went down. Drink. (laughs) (laughs) The DJ... The DJ finds Terrence Howard and beats him up in the street. So Mariah is at a late night show backstage and preparing to go on when she gets a call. So she goes down to a police station and bails the DJ out. Okay, sure. Back at the apartment, they have a fight over it. And whether or not the relationship is about her if the relationship is about him, or if the relationship is about them as a unit. And then he says, your mother would have been proud. And she slaps him. So she walks out of there with her cat. (laughs) Welcome back, cat. (laughs) Also the fact that, I mean, you, you very visibly in the beginning have her carrying her cat off to the orphanage and being like, oh, that cat's going to come back up again because you're not allowed to keep a cat in the orphanage. And then they don't. They let her keep the cat. So you're like, well, that storyline's done. The I, cat storyline is done. We wrapped on the cat. I Everybody just figured the cat was dead. I was like, oh, well, she's like a young adult now. Surely the cat has died in in the intervening years. And we don't need to know that because that is a cruel thing to put into a film. And instead the film goes, no, 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 the cat's fine. It's either a very long-lived cat or not that much time has passed between then and now. Yeah, what if she was supposed to be 16 throughout all of this? Maybe some of her behavior would make a little bit more sense. No, but that that doesn't make any sense because... Okay, all right, all right. The few things that I do know in terms of the timeline. <laughs> when she sees the government you, lady you, to ask what her mom is. Are you a diagram right now? Like, here's, here's, here's my... <laughs> Sarah, sit down. Uh, I'm bringing out my, my whiteboard. <laughs> no, this is the and, part in Back uh, to the Future Part 2 where Doc explains timelines. Yeah, so... When she goes to the government lady, the government lady clearly says, like, oh, we lost track of her about 10 years ago. So a minimum of 10 years has passed between then and now. Mm -hmm. So let's assume that, you know, the cat's a kitten. So, you know, it could be anywhere between, like, I don't know, two months to maybe about six months. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, all right. Ten years have passed, so it's a ten-year-old cat, at least. Because, but when did, when after dropping her off at the orphanage, did they lose track? That's the question, right? What age is Mariah now? What age was she then? I'm just, I'm, I'm missing too many variables to keep this movie in line. 
<laughs> I think this could easily be expanded into your one-woman drag act. <laughs> you just need to... You're going to be on stage in full drag and just wheel a whiteboard on and this is your act. No, no, okay. We need to figure out the timeline of Glitter because there's also the 10 weeks that her single has spent at number one. All right, so 10, 10 weeks... We're looking, we're looking at a few more months stacked on in there. Okay, we haven't seen any major holidays. So maybe if we assume that the film in the modern times started somewhere around like February, we could at least say that we're partway through the year by this point. But she's also wearing winter jackets. So... You're it. right, there was never damn a scene it. where Mariah and her friends sat down for Easter dinner. <laughs> it's very important to New York. They they love an Easter dinner. God. Oh no. Oh. Anyway, the cat is immortal. This, moving on. The cat's immortal. Moving on. Uh, immortal cat. Uh, she shows back up to her friend's apartment, and they welcome her back in immediately because yeah, they're they're good friends, and they don't need a dark night of the soul. Drink. She's back at the studio. And uh, hot singer Levy, Lenny Travitz, Lenny Travitz, sure, Lenny Travitz, the off-brand Lenny Kravitz, is there. Just uh, good as a surprise for her. Yeah, uh, he wants to do a duet with her, and they start making beautiful music together. Kel Supreze. The song involves. <laughs> I, I didn't pay attention to most of the songs in this, but one thing in this song that really made me stand up was the sensual singing of the word painstakingly. <laughs> That's why they call it window pain, thanks. baby. I hate it. <laughs> He's so confident in the product, he decides to leak it to a music station the very next day, and she's surprised by that. She's all like, you can do that? And he's like, I can do anything. It's, all right, fine. Cure for cancer, please. We've never seen him produce anyone else, by the way. So there's never any suggestion that he's actually good at this. Well, there's never any suggestion that of, of his music, period. Like, he's not built up over the course of the film of, oh, it's the new song from so-and-so. I love this guy. When they're young and they're listening to, to music and they're not signed. And then over time... Go, going to the meeting him thing, right? It's not a du jour situation. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, the song and the entire album that apparently they've now produced goes to number one in the charts. And uh, then we get this small montage of Mariah being very sad and the DJ being very sad and both of them sitting down to write out some sad music uh, separately. But... What's this? Their hearts are so entwined. They, they, they write the same music. <gasps> it's like they're two halves of a whole. This is lazy. This is no, no. This is bad writing. This is not. This is not how this works. Yes, two cultures can come up with a sword, but it turns out people want to stab other people. <laughs> I want to stab people when I think about how they conceived of this scene. Yeah, love spans both space and bad writing. Yeah, it's an interstellar situation. They're actually at right angles to each other. 
Yeah, you know that scene in Dracula where he says, I crossed oceans of time and pages of bad dialogue to get to you. (laughs) So at a dance practice for her music, they they don't say what the dance practice is for. They just say it's dance. Uh, She breaks down a bit and storms off. Literally, that's it. Both her and the DJ do the lone walk home down the street kind of thing. And she kind of subconsciously makes her way to his apartment where she finds the sheet music to the song he wrote for her. Gasp. Can you believe it? As well as a ticket to to her upcoming live show. Gasp again. So she kisses and signs the sheet music to show that she'd been there and leaves immediately before he returns. Like... Not joking. She leaves. Some guys with some mattresses walk by her and block his view of her. And then he goes into the apartment. (laughs) Yes. I was looking at it. I was like, wow, this shot's going on for a while. It's weird that they have those mattress guys. Oh, he's coming over. Are you telling me they just pulled the sitcom, like, two moving guys? (laughs) They might as well have had somebody, like, walking by with a can of paint and a ladder and and a skunk dart through somebody's feet you know oh my god well anyway he goes into the apartment where he finds the sheet music and he's all like she does love me and so he goes out into the street where terrence howard finds him immediately and shoots him but we don't see what happens. But like there's not it's not just that he shoots him it is that dice Walks straight into his gun. Straight into it. Doesn't even, like, sees him making the move. Does nothing about it. Walks into the gun. Gun goes off. Fade to white. See, this is the thing about nobody wanting anything. You should think at this point he's like, he's renewed. He's rejoicing. All that. He wants to stay alive to meet his love no matter what. But unfortunately, he was slain. And instead, it looks like he walks out trying to find her. And he's like, oh, yeah, gun time. Sorry about that. Boom. Gun time. <laughs> it's not the same as bullet time. It's, it's... Anyway. <laughs> now I'm just oh, picturing gosh, gun time. Like movie. a waltz in gun time. <laughs> it's it's almost like 3-4, but you know, a, a bit more um, pew, know, pew, staccato. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> have i have i shown you my church chair cannon what yeah yeah it's my church chair cannon it goes pew 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 for fuck's sake (laughs) (laughs) Uh, myself <laughs> oh, it's okay oh. dice died we are almost to the end of this movie <laughs> we're almost we're almost at the end i swear i'm so sorry guys that you've had to sit through this uh madison square garden is a sold out show for her but she hasn't shown up her publicist gets a call to turn on the tv because back then people used to call each other in movies and tv shows and just be like turn it over to channel three and then you hang up immediately and turn it over to channel three and wouldn't you know it a lady on the tv news is saying 
local famous DJ uh, whose name we won't say on TV because it's an awful stupid name. Very stupid name. Uh, yeah, he, he got gunned down. He's dead. Anyway, uh, more at 11. That's the thing. They're always at the start of the report, too. <laughs> yeah. And everybody's just like, oh, no. Oh, goodness. Not the DJ that we were all so deeply invested in. Well, hopefully Mariah hasn't heard anything about that. They turn around. She's in the door. She's standing right <laughs> she's behind standing me, like isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's literally the, she's right behind me, isn't she? Yeah, but the show must go on. Absolutely, 100%. She goes out on stage and what, what, what? She stops the music and she tells the audience, don't take anyone for granted. And she begins to sing a deep, heartfelt song that I guess the band was prepared to play along to. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just want to say this. Mariah, colon, the movie Glitter, I've seen Purple Rain. And you, Sora, are no Purple Rain. Yep. She's giving her all to it, but also seems deeply unfazed by the fact that the man that she apparently loved is dead. The crowd loves it, they demand more, and backstage she finds a bouquet of flowers and a message from the DJ, which we have to assume he sent before his death, because this would be very troubling if it wasn't. It's on a little uh, note card, but she reads the whole thing out as voiceover, and it really, like, it should have fit on a legal pad. Yeah, it's all, I love you, I miss you, by the way, social service is called and your mom is in Maryland and definitely not the unhoused woman you didn't want to interact with. Won't it be exciting when we finally get to see her together? Anyway, I'm looking forward to the future and definitely not dying because you and I are going to have a long, beautiful future ahead of us, right? Love you, the DJ. (laughs) So then we get, then, then we transition to a scene where she's in a limo driving out to Maryland. She's in the same outfit. And it's the same night. So she did this right after either one song or the full concert. Don't know. Could be either. I hope I hope she was swapping and out limo drivers like they used to swap out horses on the Pony Express. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we gotta crank this limo driver until he dies. <laughs> uh, so... She she finds this lovely little country house in the middle of Maryland, I guess. And um, her mom comes out. And she looks fucking great. Her mom looks awesome. And, you know, they, they reunite and they hug. And they it's all like, oh, you know, it's a, side, it's a wordless scene. It's, but it's very clear. It's all like, Mom, my daughter. And, oh, mommy. And I, I just need to ask, if she got her life together at a good portion back in the past at some point because clearly her life is together enough to buy a house in the Maryland countryside why didn't she go back and try to find her daughter it's the same reason why she didn't have any visitation apparently it's it's this we're working on like any orphanage rules here uh, once you're in the system, that's it. Your parents are dead. Once you're an orphan, that legally means your parents are dead. Yes. 
Mm, yeah. Anyway, they cry and hug. The end. Credits roll over Mariah Carey singing a song in the spotlight. This should have been the central conflict of the film, is her and her mother's relationship. And, uh... Nope. Just cut out that boring milk toast man who with bleach tips <laughs> like have that be it there's two references to her ethnicity which are really interesting I think and I thought like yeah, when she first meets her friends they literally say like I'm black I'm mixed I'm Puerto Rican and it's like oh this is interesting maybe they like define each other in opposition and things like that and the directors the of her music video says some gross stuff about her, like oh is she black or is she white it's so exotic um and i thought oh all of this is actually really interesting and would be something great for her to claim that is 100 percent mariah you know and nobody else is telling this story about somebody like her but in, in the late 90s, the early 2000s, we were still in that post-racial idiotic idea, right? That, oh, we don't see color and we, we just see, you know, people. And turns out that was still a fucking lie. That was a way for racists to stop people from talking about color. It's interesting. I, um, I remember when Grey's Anatomy came out and they made a point of basically like all of the characters in it are in mixed race relationships and that like Shonda Rhimes had to fight for that and be like, no, you know what? It's the two thousands. It is not taboo to see an interracial relationship for God's sakes. I had no idea like that. That never even crossed my mind as a kid when I was watching that, because yes, I'm old enough to say that I was a teenager when I began watching that, but it, it was never like, I didn't sit there and go, wow, mixed race relationships i was just like look at all these sexy people having sexy sex yeah, in the exactly. hospital. that that's not a real thing that happens <laughs> yeah oh, there's there could have been a good movie here yeah. but the movie was so uninterested in doing anything just and they no joke, this feels like everybody in the room constantly sat there and said, well, Mariah's star power alone will be enough to drive this. Mm -hmm. And it's not. No. It just isn't. Right? I, I, I know I want to keep going back to Purple Rain and holding it as, like, the example, but Purple, Purple Rain is the example. Mm -hmm. It's It's doing this so well, so much better, because it surrounds the kid... Uh, Prince, the kid, with interesting characters, right? Uh, Apollonia is interesting, right? Um, his his musical rival is mm -hmm. interesting, right? The band is interesting. The stage manager is interesting because they're all characters. Whereas almost everybody in this movie is just a PC cardboard cutout. Yeah, I I think if you compare it to to that then like you can easily ring off oh I know every single character's wants like maybe we're not talking third tier but if I go through every single character I can say 
he wants this, he wants this, he wants this, that sort of thing, which you absolutely cannot say about glitter. Like, you you know these characters and the deep, dark parts of them, not to be like deep, deep, dark and gritty, um, in Purple Rain, that, like, it's upsetting. Yeah. It should be upsetting. Oh, just... And this movie doesn't want to be upsetting. It doesn't want to do anything beyond... Well, you know, it's a star vehicle for Mariah Carey. It just isn't. No wonder this movie is hard to find. It's not good. No. Oh, and that actually leads me Um, into into my final judgment. But you go first. What, uh, What do you think? Is Glitter Camp? It's not, it's so bad, it's good. And it's not even, I, I just think this is inept, right? In the same way that the Dungeons and Dragons movie was inept, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, I, I like that we had programmed Dungeons and Dragons right next to the Super Mario Brothers movie because at least with the Super Mario's brother movie it swung it swung Mm -hmm. real fucking hard and it came out with something that I could be like you know what that's camp it's bad and it's wrong and I appreciate the attempt right with this one it's it's melodramatic but it's not melodramatic in any way that feels conclusive right or in any way that's meaningful it's just ineptly directed it's ineptly acted it's ineptly constructed i just think this is a bad movie i i i come at me if if you want to argue it that's fine i get it there's a lot of fans out there but i i know she's also not the person for me but i just think this movie has is doing her disservice on top of it Mm -hmm. how about you um, I disagree. I think that this movie is so bad it's good. Um, but I do not disagree with your overall judgment, which is yes, this movie is not camp. I do think that this movie was a lot of fun to watch. Now, granted, I watched it intoxicated and you did not. Um, so I guess my big recommendation would nope. be get intoxicated and watch this movie because it's great. <laughs> yeah, maybe this would do better in a packed theater with a drinking game involved mm-hmm. or... If you're all doing something, I just, no, no, no. (laughs) That's it. That's all I got. Just traveling back in time to hold Mariah's hand, uh, face between your hands and be like, no, don't do it, honey. Or do it, but do it better. Talk about something. Choose a battle. Right? <laughs> yes. This movie doesn't want to pick a battle. So thank you for joining us today on our exploration yeah. of glitter. <laughs> Please subscribe on your podcaster of choice. Leave a star rating and review where you can, because it always helps us to find new people who may not know what their camp favorite is. Yes. And next week, we will be diving into Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. 
I'm so excited to show this movie I have not seen it. I I have to remind myself that it is not Palm Springs, because I keep thinking of this like, oh yeah, that's that movie with Kristen Wiig where she's in a time loop. Um, I don't think that's what it is, but that's basically all I know. I know Jamie Dornan's in it, too. Uh, yes, Jamie Dornan's in it. Kristen Wiig plays two different characters because, of <gasps> course, why not? Um, uh, there's I, I saw this last year with my cousin because we were just hanging out one night and we're like, let's put a movie on. And we found it. And I was like, you know, like, I'm, I'm curious because the poster for this movie is this Lisa Frank explosion. I'm like, what could this possibly be? Put it on. And then for the next however long that movie took, she and I were doing the uh, the ultra gay and let's because we we get we get weird we get sillies together, but we are constantly grabbing each other's knee and looking at each other with the widest expression on our face, going, "Holy shit! I can't believe the thing that's happening right now is <laughs> happening, and nobody's talking about this fucking movie." Uh, it's. It's wild. This is this is a movie full of wild swings. It is very funny. I hope it's the kind of comedy that you can appreciate. Uh, there is a... You, you said uh, this is not the movie with the time loop. There kind of is a time loop in it for, really? for two scenes. You'll, you'll, you'll understand it when you see it. Okay. You'll come out the other end of it going, that's fucking hilarious. I hope it's not uh, like a funny game style uh, loop. I'm, I'm going to trust you on this. No, no, it's not a funny game style loop. It's just a, uh, like, oh, that's that's kind of funny. And then as you're going through the scene, you're going, oh my god, what? <laughs> Holy shit! I can't believe they pulled this off. Uh, there are a lot of um, this movie goes places that you wouldn't expect, and then it says, oh, sorry, we didn't go far enough, motherfucker, and then goes further. <laughs> Well, I expected to go to Vista Del Mar. Yes, it does go to Vista Del Mar. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm just so excited. And I am very excited to spend a lot of the episode probably doing an accent. Oh because, God. boy, howdy, does this movie revel in an accent. <laughs> you know how much I love an accent. But until that point... You, our campers, our audience, can continue the discussion on our Twitter, our Instagram, and guess who just got blue sky pictures? It's me. I got a blue sky invite. Uh, what's your handle on blue we sky? We are the rats. Uh, well, it's the same handle as everywhere else. It's Reese Indigo, all one word, R-H-Y-S, spelled the Welsh way. I am mid-setting up my Blue Sky account because I cannot decide a name. But for now, I am Sour Citrus Lady on Twitter. And you can follow the pod on at IsItCampPod. Until next week, wait an hour before swimming, watch out for snakes, and stay camp. Bye! And there was no conflict whatsoever in this episode at all. Sarah and I were fine. Nobody's dead. All the problems are sorted. The end. What do you think? Like it. Not too camp. No, not the way you do it.